Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. All right, good morning. Um, Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning, everybody. As Fab said, my name is Christy. If I don't know you, I'd love to meet you. Uh, And I have been a member of this Vine Covenant community for uh, seven years this summer and just rolled off of a two-year term on leadership team. And I'm so pleased to be here and offer this message this morning. Um, So, that question that you answered just now about who you might follow on social media, that was asked because the term follow has taken on a different meaning in our society today. When you follow someone, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort on your part. You click that button and it's done. Um, You might follow someone on Facebook because you wanna keep up with how old someone's children are or where they went on vacation or what they had for lunch. You might follow someone on Instagram to get home improvement advice all of that useful information that you're never actually going to use. Or you might follow somebody on TikTok simply because they make you laugh. But there's not a lot of effort on our part. Now, following certain accounts might influence our thoughts, shape our worldview, but largely following someone on social media doesn't change how we live our lives and what we do. There have been some TikTok challenges gone wrong. Uh, Maybe you have made a recipe or two that you wish you hadn't. But um, largely, our followership online doesn't change who we are. But when Jesus extends the invitation to follow him, it has a much bigger meaning. Because it is an invitation to change who we are and how we live our lives. So in this uh, passage that Steve just read for us, when Jesus extended the invitation to come, he literally meant to come after him. Now, um, this is not the first encounter that these men had with Jesus. We know in the Gospels that they were already acquainted. Uh, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. So they already knew Jesus, and they had come to the belief that he is the Messiah. So he comes along and extends the invitation to follow them in this passage, and they did. Um, They were in the middle of their workday as fishermen, casting their nets as you do, And Jesus invited them to follow him, so Andrew and Simon Peter just walked off the job, as did James and John. So imagine that in your daily life, you're in the middle of your important Zoom call, uh, you're taking someone's order, you're in class, you're reconciling the day's books, and see ya, I'm out of here. That's that's really what happened in this passage. Um, Jesus didn't invite his disciples to read a book or to listen to a motivational message. He asked them to stop what they were doing and to do something different. And they did. They followed after him. They went where he went. They did what he did. And Jesus extends that same invitation to his disciples today. Follow me. 
During the sermon series on the distinctives of the vine, uh, today we are focused on that we strive to be a church that is practice-based. Our faith is not meant to only construct a belief system, but to actually inform the way that we live. Our community is structured in a way intended to help each of us follow Jesus through experiences, utilizing common habits of contemplation and action, actual faith and action. Uh, Another way to put that is we practice what we preach. Uh, It's more than just words on a page or a message on a Sunday morning. Our beliefs cause us to practice the habits of Jesus on a daily basis. It's something we actually do. And, you know, there's a difference between knowing and doing. Because I know that I'm supposed to get eight hours of sleep every night. It will improve my brain function, my physical well-being. It will reduce my stress level. I've read the medical and scientific studies, but ask me if I got eight hours of sleep last night. I did not. So there is a difference in knowing something and actually doing it. But here at the Vine, uh, we don't just study Jesus. We actually strive to follow the example that he set, the model that he set, his behaviors and actions. In fact, we even have a nifty graphic to help us illustrate this. Ta-da! So in order to help us follow Jesus, the Vine came up with these eight practices. And uh, close to two years ago, we did a whole sermon series on this called Habits. So if you're new here and you weren't here for that sermon series, that's okay. Maybe you were and you've already forgotten what it said, and that's okay too. (laughs) Congratulations, you get to have a refresher. Uh, Four of these habits are meant to be practiced on a daily basis and four on a weekly basis, the outer ring. Uh, Were there other practices that Jesus demonstrated in Scripture? Absolutely. Jesus drank wine, and you don't see that listed here. Um, These are practices, though, that we believe aid in our spiritual formation as making us closer to and more like Jesus. And the first one is scripture before screen. And this practice means prioritizing spending time in God's word on a daily basis. Now, was Jesus faced with the choice of picking up God's word or his ever-tempting cell phone? No, obviously he was not. But he did demonstrate for us the prioritization of scripture of the reading and the memorization of Scripture, and it informed his life. Uh, he, put that as, he put that first about other distractions in his time. And sure, okay, some of you might try to get around this and tell me, but I read Scripture on my screen through my Bible app, and cool, 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 if that's what you do, then uh, good on you if that's the first thing that you look at when you pick up your phone. But if I'm being honest, the first place that I often look when I pick up my phone is what text messages might have come in while I was sleeping, Or let me just respond to these first pressing emails because then I can better focus on scripture once I get there. And oh, I got tagged in a photo and I need to respond and comment on this post and then you see where this is going. So uh, all of that can wait. And if it can't wait, then I should probably wake up earlier or build time elsewhere in my day to make this a priority. By the way, all of these practices deal with time. You're going to notice that theme. Uh, The next one is prayerful reflection three times a day. Now, we know that Jesus awoke early in the morning when it was still dark, which I rarely do, uh, and he went out into a deserted place to pray by himself alone. Prayerful reflection is is, is bringing our requests and our thoughts and our feelings to God, but it's also sitting quietly with God to hear what he may have to say to us. That's the reflection part. 
And, and maybe you prefer to pray alone like Jesus in a deserted place. Maybe that place is your closet. Maybe that place is your car on your commute or while you're taking a walk. Whatever it is that works for you, do that. This is about communing with God and being in relationship with God. And Jesus certainly spent a lot of time doing that, even though he was God. So that is a model and example for us. And similar to prayerful reflection, uh, we're called to lift others in prayer. It's so powerful to lift others in prayer, and we certainly saw Jesus do that quite often in Scripture. And in addition to the practice of lifting others in prayer, I would submit to you and suggest to you, write that down. Because it's so powerful to look back and see how God has answered and responded to those prayers. Now, he doesn't always respond in the way that we might uh, pray for or think he's going to respond, but he always responds. And as we lift others in prayer, we get to join in the thanksgiving for that response. What a privilege that is. By the way, no one says that you can't combine prayerful reflection and lifting others in prayer. They're separate, but they complement each other quite well. All right, our last daily practice is to speak blessing. Now, this is different than saying bless you when someone sneezes, which is a nice thing to do. Uh, it's also different than when you say, well, bless your heart, uh, sarcastically, which you don't really mean. But um, what this means and what we saw Jesus do is that when we speak blessing over other, there's, others, there's power in that. We know that Jesus can heal uh, relationships. He can heal spirits. He can heal our physical beings as we speak that blessing to others. So let there be blessing on your lips. Now, these are the practices that are recommended daily. And then we have four practices that are recommended weekly, which could be practiced a little more often than that, if you feel called. Uh, the first of those is the Sabbath. Uh, God the Father set this example for us when he rested on the seventh day. And Jesus followed that example, setting that model for us. Our busy world communicates to us that we don't have time for rest or that rest is lazy. But rest is holy. God created us in his image, and he knew that we would need that. Could he have created us to be able to function and work seven days without stopping? He could have. He's God. But he intentionally chose not to do so. God invented self-care before self-care was cool. Now, this next one, true talk here, this is the hardest practice for me, um, fasting. I don't fast from food, true confession. It's not something I practice. If you do, I commend you because Jesus certainly did in Scripture. But I do fast from other wants and desires, things that are distracting me from God, that are not of God. So sometimes that means fasting from social media or television or from a hobby that has overtaken hobby status. So what I would suggest for you is to look at your life and examine what is clearly not of God, but that would be the hardest for me to give up for a time. And that's probably a good place to start. Now, you don't have to fast for a week. In fact, if you fast from food, don't fast for a week. Uh, but you might want to start with a day or an hour. And maybe through fasting, you've been able to find the time that you didn't already have for reading scripture and praying. Uh, the next is to spend time in significant friendship. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We see throughout the recorded life of Jesus that he spent time in significant friendships. Now, there were many 
who admired him, who loved him, who were truly fascinated by him. Thousands and thousands of people. But he couldn't be in significant friendship with all of those people. So he intentionally chose a few, and he invested the time to be in significant friendship with them. And we must be intentional about the relationships in our lives so that we are investing that time in significant friendship. That's important for our spiritual formation. It's an example that we saw from Jesus. If we were to look at all of the practices that we're talking about today, this is the last one, and I would say that it's the one that we see Jesus model for us the most, and that's to embody mercy in the margins. What that means is acknowledging and embracing those in our community who struggle, who may go without food and shelter, or love and acceptance, or safety and security, or maybe all of the above. And it's about meeting them where they are and showing mercy and compassion in both tangible and intangible ways. And Haley Patterson gave us a beautiful message on what it looks like to be an outward-focused church last week. If you didn't get to hear it, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen. It really exemplifies that mercy in the margins and what that looks like. So those are the practices, all eight of them. And I know that that seems like a lot. Um, But they are practices meant to guide us and not rules to shame us. No one's getting kicked out of church for not practicing these. Uh, No one is going to face eternal damnation because you don't do all eight of these things perfectly. Also, I think it's fun to note that nowhere on this list does it say attend church on a weekly basis. I mean, here you are on a holiday weekend. You could have checked that off the list, and it's not even on there. Man. Uh, None of these practices require a certain amount of education or experience. None of them require money. What they require is your time, which is probably our most precious commodity in this day and age. Uh, Being practice-based isn't intended to be a burden. Instead, it is intended to lighten our burden. Because just like children thrive in a routine of knowing what to expect next, we as adults flourish in following the example of Jesus. Now, I may have already lost you, some of you at this point. You're sitting there in your chair and you're thinking, whatever, that is way too much and I'm not doing all that. Eight things, are you crazy? Um, But... What I would say to you is this, these practices are for all of us because they are something that Jesus modeled for us. So bear with me. I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on three questions. How could a practice become a habit? What's in your way? And who are you becoming? Right, so when I was a kid, I had a cool bicycle. I mean, look at this thing. It's got a basket with flowers, a banana seat, It's pink. This was as cool as bikes came in the 80s. And I would submit to you, that is still cool by today's standards. But as you can see in this photo, I rode that thing with training wheels for far too long. (laughs) Uh, My parents ran up and down the street with me for countless days and hours trying to teach me to ride the bike on my own. And I think that they were to the point of just giving up, like she's never going to do it. I was to the point of giving up. My grandfather showed up one day, and he said, I'll give you $20 to ride that bike. What do you think I did? I rode the bike. Uh, I mean, I hopped on that thing, and I started riding like I had been riding my entire life. All it took was $20. And my parents, of course, stood looking after me, dumbfounded. Why hadn't they thought of that? Um, 
But it wouldn't be fair to leave them out of this equation because the days and hours that they spent running up and down the road beside me gave me the practice I needed. Uh, I would not have been able to ride the bike on my own without that practice. And it's still a skill that I have today, although I primarily utilize that on a stationary bicycle indoors in this heat. So how can a practice become a habit? Have you ever noticed that when we talk about habits, we typically focus on how can we break bad habits? But today we're actually talking about how can we make a good practice into a habit? Because when something becomes instinctive, you barely notice that you're doing it, and it's not hard anymore. So that's not to say that we don't notice we're doing these things at all, but when something becomes instinctual, it takes away the burden. It's like riding a bike. So as the saying goes, practice makes perfect, right? Uh, practice is both a noun, I'm, I'm, my English teacher's coming out at me. Um, practice is both a noun and a verb. It's a thing, and it's something that we do. And Practice means that you can't yet do it perfectly. Professional musicians and athletes, they practice. Brian, you practice, even though you're really good. Uh, you still practice because that's what you do. Uh, you still keep doing it. Jesus was perfect, and he still practiced all of these things. So are you going to do it perfectly? No, because you're not Jesus. But it still means it's something that we should do, and we should keep trying, and the best way to do that is to begin. And then over time... You no longer pick up your phone to check the news and weather and who liked your latest post. You can't imagine waking up and doing anything but putting your nose in God's word. And over time, Sabbath becomes part of your routine, and it's not hard to find time to rest. It just happens. It's part of who you are. Without even noticing that no one is running beside you, you simply ride. But you have to intentionally practice it first. And maybe even have somebody running up and down beside you for a while and cheering you on. So what obstacles exist in your path that make all of this seem like too much? If you don't have time in your day, what's something that you could give up to make room for prayer and reading scripture? What would motivate you to overcome that obstacle? It took $20 for me. Uh, I, I'm apparently a cheap date. Uh, $20 is all it takes. But in this instance, uh, the practices that we're talking about today, I think that we have a far greater motivation than $20 could ever buy. A believer has the motivation to be more like Jesus. And that's what these practices do for us. Um, if we really believe that Jesus is the Messiah that we proclaim him to be, the Savior and Messiah that we proclaim him to be, then our actions ought to align with his. We can't separate our faith in Jesus from doing what he said to do. Are we going to fall short? Absolutely we are. You are, I'm going to fall short, we all are, because we're not Jesus. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now one of the biggest things that stands in my way is waiting for something to be perfect. That's my greatest flaw, perhaps. Uh, as soon as I get past this season, then I'll be able to do X, Y, Z perfectly. But then the next season is just as busy as the last. So stop waiting until you graduate, until you get married, until you have kids, until your kids are older, until your job slows down, until you land the perfect job, until you retire, until you die. The best time to practice these habits of Jesus is today. You don't have to wait for tomorrow. You can start today. And it doesn't have to be the perfect time, and you don't have to do it perfectly. And if you 
stop doing it for a few days or a few weeks, the best thing to do is to begin again. I let fear of failure get in my way of riding my bike. Uh, I was afraid that without training wheels and without my parents running beside me, I would fall. And I don't know if I feared physical injury or if what I really feared was the embarrassment of the failure of falling. But I had, I had to have the courage to get out of my own way and try. Again, $20 bought that. But we have, to, uh, we have to have the courage to get out of our own way and just do it. And it's not a Nike commercial, but that's what it takes. So if you're worried that you're not going to do something perfectly or that you don't have the right words to speak blessing, that you don't, have, um, you don't know what to say when you pray or that you don't know how to show compassion, the best thing you can do is to begin. You're not going to do it perfectly, and that's okay. That's what practice is for. And again, uh, none of us are going to do it perfectly. We are not Jesus. But if we try, 2 Corinthians 12.9 tells us what the Lord told, told Paul. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the last question is, who are you becoming? One of my favorite quotes is by Christian philosopher and scholar Dallas Willard. I had this posted above the desk in my office, and he said, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. That's what you will take into eternity. And as this quote indicates, it's not what you do that is important. I don't want anyone to get hung up on following these eight practices and doing them perfectly is going to save your soul because that's not how it works. We are saved through grace, through Jesus Christ. God's grace through Jesus does that for us. And Ephesians 2.8 tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. And for those of you who have uh, children in Vine Kids today, uh, talk to them about this, because this is the verse that they're studying in their curriculum today. But what we do, our practices, our habits, that shapes who we become. If we are someone who speaks blessings to others, we are a blessing. If we spend time in significant friendships, we are a significant friend. And if we spend time fasting and focusing more on God, then we are someone who puts our focus on the one true source of hope and restoration that will never let us down. Following the model that Jesus set for us is transformational to our being. It's not about changing who we are, but about becoming who we truly are, who we were made to be. We were made to become more like Jesus and to follow in the path that he walked for us. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If we practice the model that Jesus set and follow his path, we will learn to ride that bike. As much as I may try to unlearn how to ride a bike, I can't forget it. I might like to, but I can't. Uh, it's part of who I have become. And I'm also changed by the experience of learning to ride it. So what does it look like for you to accept Jesus' invitation to follow him? How can your life in the year 2023 follow in his footsteps and be shaped by his example? What steps can you take not just to read, hear, and believe, but to put that into practice in your daily life?
if this is something that you want to do, uh, you don't know where to begin, looking at the eight practices we talked about today is a great place to start. And maybe you're already in a place where these eight practices are part of your daily and weekly routine. And you want to focus on one and getting better at it to become more like Jesus. Whichever stage you're in, whether you're beginning a practice for the first time or you've been doing all of these for some time, I'd like you to take a look and pick one to focus on right now. Once you've selected that one, if you're comfortable, I'll invite you to close your eyes. Think about how Jesus embodied that practice. What did that look like? What example did he model for us? Now think about what that looks like for you to follow that example and embody that practice in your life. What does it look like to take those training wheels off and fully practice that? What is standing in your way? What obstacles do you see on that path that might prevent you from practicing that habit? How can you remove that obstacle in your path or see your way around it? And who are you becoming? How will this practice make you more like Jesus? How can being more practice-based help put what you know and believe into work in this world. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you as a people who want to follow you. Help us put into practice the example that you set for us. Help us to be courageous enough to overcome our own fears and help us to form and shape our lives so that we have the time. Help us to become more like you each and every day and to shine the light of your love and example to others around us. For your glory, amen. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.